0: Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for taking the time to join me today, much appreciated. So, the sun is out and the mightily united top of the league. Life is good, huh? In today's show, we head to Surrey in 2014 for a story that shows the danger of light-hearted flirting and becoming involved in the relationships of others, however well-meaning. I think it's one of the most genuinely frightening stories I've covered. I'm delighted that this week's show is again sponsored by Heist, the underwear brand on a mission to take away the frustration that every woman has with their underwear. Have you taken a look at them yet? If not, check them out now at heist-studios.com to see how they have revolutionised tights and shapewear with more to come in 2020. And I can personally endorse Heist as my wife loves and wears their products. And why their products are so good is no surprise, when you learn about their in-house team of material scientists and garment innovators, known as Lab 12, who create their products. If you are a swimming fan, Fiona Fairhurst will need no introduction. And Fiona, the inventor of the revolutionary multi-gold winning fast-skin swimsuit, heads up Lab 12, Fiona and her team have applied technology never used before to create shapewear that moves with the body rather than against it. But don't just take my word for it. This is the time for you to make that change to revolutionary underwear. Go and explore Heist for yourself now with a special 15% discount on products for listeners to this podcast. Just head to heist-studios.com and use the promotion code CAPITALS HEIST15 at checkout. That is heist-studios.com and use the special code HEIST15, all capitals, at checkout. A huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially to this week's new members of this exclusive club. That's Phoebe, Anthony Booth and Helen Sims. Full bonus length episode number 33, The Jigsaw Killer, was released this week. I hope you enjoyed it. This week I will be aiming to release a new video, which is always fun. I'm so grateful for your support on Patreon, so thank you ever so much. And while I'm on shout-outs, a special shout-out to Phil Brooks, who I chatted with on the excellent True Crime Enthusiast Facebook group this week. Thanks for your support on Tuesday, you know what I mean. Let's quickly set some context by taking a look at the music we were listening to, or not, when the events we discussed today. November 2014 took place. Bob Geldof had rallied the troops again for Band Aid 30, which topped the charts. Sure, it wasn't great, and there was a distinct lack of African artists from the countries affected by Ebola, but it raised some much-needed cash. Taylor Swift topped the US charts with Shake It Off, and in the Australian album charts, One Direction were in the number one position with Four. In the news this month, New York's 104-storey World Trade Centre officially opened 13 years after the September 11th attacks. World leaders gathered in Brisbane for the G20 Summit in another step to lining their own pockets – oh, sorry, I can't read my writing – I meant to say to focus on economic growth. I think I'd have as much faith in the cast of Hollyoaks making these decisions, quite frankly. And the world of cricket was stunned. An Australian professional Philip Hughes died two days after being struck on the head by a bouncer. Good looks and beauty of two people were in the news, as Nicola Sturgeon succeeded Alex Salmond as leader of the Scottish National Party. And in UK true crime news, former BBC DJ Chris Denning pleaded guilty to the grotesque sexual abuse of boys aged 9-16 to 16 during the 1970s and the 80s. Fetcham is a small leafy village near Leatherhead in Surrey just outside the M25 southeast of London. It's a pretty affluent place with one pub and the River Mole running through. 55-year-old Patrick Kettle lived with his 54-year-old wife Gillian and their 16-year-old son Timothy at their house in Fetcham. They married in 2004 and had three children between them from previous marriages. Timothy from Gillian's previous marriage and Patrick's 24-year-old son Philip and 27-year-old daughter Vicky. They were a quiet and friendly couple, seen often around the village walking their dogs or taking Timothy to school. Patrick was a skilled tradesman and had worked hard to develop his successful building business, Kettle Limited, which he'd established in 1985. By 2014, he'd wound down his hands-on construction work but he still made some income from renting out a small portfolio of properties, although he was no Robbie Fowler. Gillian still worked as a senior facilities manager at services company Cargill in nearby Cobham. Meanwhile, in London, in 2007, Victorus Bruzas moved to England from Lithuania with his wife. Originally, they settled in Forest Gate, East London, where they had a son called Richard. They moved to Surrey, close to where Patrick and Gillian lived, where Victorus was initially offered a job by Patrick Kettle in 2007 to do some work to fit a bathroom at Patrick's mum's home. And he did such a good job, he helped Patrick build a conservatory at his own house later. Patrick was seriously impressed, as he could see that Victorus was a very skilful builder. Keen to help the young couple, Patrick offered his wife, Catherine, a job at his company as a freelance bookkeeper at the business which he now ran from home. Patrick was a charming and friendly man who enjoyed female company, and as the friendship grew between Patrick and Catherine, they spent a lot of time chatting, lightly flirting and discussing their lives. It was all totally innocent, and just the sort of behaviour we see at workplaces around the country every day. But Catherine began to open up about her marriage to Victorus and revealed that beneath the public display Victress was in fact a deeply unpleasant controlling, abusive, and yet again on this podcast I'm afraid, he was violent towards his wife. Patrick advised Catherine that he thought she shouldn't stay with a man like her husband, and she should leave him now while she could. And soon, though obviously not just based on Patrick's thoughts, Catherine Brusas did just that. Victorus was incensed that his wife didn't want to be with him any longer, and as is so often the case in these situations, he began looking for reasons why she had left, whilst ignoring the obvious his own behaviour. As we know, self awareness is really a trait enjoyed by violent abusive bullies. He logged on to her email account, and on seeing some mildly flirtatious emails, including one from Patrick saying he wanted to buy her underwear. He started to get it into his mind that his wife had been having an affair with Patrick Kettle, and his anger around this grew and grew. This, he thought, was the reason that his wife had left him. Victorus began to drink more heavily and work less and less. And then one morning in September 2012, after a whole night's drinking, he turned up at the Kettle's house at 6am, loudly accusing Patrick of seducing his wife and taking her away from him. Patrick came out to reason with Victorus, but he was not having any of it, and Patrick had to physically restrain him from attacking him and call the police. It was a terribly worrying situation for the Kettles, as they'd seen that Victorus was clearly volatile and unpredictable. Patrick Kettle was sufficiently worried about what might happen next that he stepped up the security at his home, including installing CCTV. It all went quiet until in October 2013, Victorus sent an abusive email to Patrick Kettle, calling him all sorts of names and threatening violence, saying that his family were going to sort out the situation. By now, after this period of time, Patrick had hoped that Victorus may have moved on, but his feelings were clearly still festering and Patrick again had no option but to go to the police. As a result of this, the police did visit the home of Victorus in January 2014, and they served him with a harassment warning letter. But Victorus wasn't contrite about his actions, or calm, and he ranted to officers about his wife's supposed infidelity. He even claimed that his now ex-wife had tried to poison him, and that she had taken out insurance on his life, so that she and her new partner would be able to use the money to pay off her mortgage after Victorus was out of the picture. Clearly Victorus was struggling with his mental health following the breakup of his marriage, but he didn't make any further threats of violence, so officers served him with his notice and they left. Victorus had always been a jealous man, but this behaviour continued to intensify. Trying to move on with his life, he began dating other women and a girlfriend he dated the following year for three months or so, told friends that he'd even demanded a sick note on one occasion when she failed to show up for a date. She'd been ill with suspected appendicitis, so was in no fit state to go out, but Victor has convinced himself that the real reason she hadn't wished to see him was that she was dating other men. And oh what an attractive trait jealousy and possessiveness is in somebody, wouldn't you agree? By the evening of the 26th of November 2014, as 39-year-old Victorus drank at least a couple of bottles of wine, which was, by now, a normal night's drinking for him, he again contacted this ex-partner trying to arrange another meeting. That night, he was at home at Walton-on-Thames with his flatmate and another pal. They were talking about the argument he'd had with his ex-wife the previous Sunday. And then, approaching midnight, he got up with his flatmate believing he'd headed off to bed. He hadn't. He'd set off for Patrick Kettle's house, the man he believed had stolen his wife from him. Then in the early hours of the 27th of November, he arrived at the side of Patrick Kettle's house, from where he climbed onto some bins to jump in the garden, the scene of his earlier altercation with Patrick. All was quiet as Patrick, Gillian and Timothy had all gone to bed at around 10.15pm thinking that it was just all another normal evening, but it very much wasn't. Victor smashed the patio doors and made his way upstairs, carrying a kitchen knife in his hand, the blood seeping from the wound on his hand caused by the patio door and leaving a trail up the stairs. Timothy was in the adjoining bedroom to his parents and was jolted awake at almost half past midnight by what sounded like the sound of shouts and screams from his parents' bedroom. He was terrified. He couldn't move. But then he heard the man walk towards his bedroom door and so he sat behind the bedroom door holding the door handle to stop the intruder entering his room. He recognised the voice that spoke from the hallway as Victorious, who Timothy realised was talking to him, telling him that he would no issue with him or with his mum, but that his dad had ruined his life, this was his revenge on him and that he was not scared of prison. And then he was gone, with the CCTV showing that he was just in the house for six minutes before he climbed back over the fence at the front of the house to make his escape. Timothy mustered the courage to walk into his parents' room, dreading what he would find. And after he'd witnessed the full horror of the sights and smells, he called 999. Amazingly, when paramedics arrived at the scene, although Patrick was already dead, Gillian was just still alive, but they were unable to save her. The judge, at sentencing, later described the scene. It is impossible to say with certainty in what order any of the knife blows were struck. What is clear is that Patrick Kettle put up a spirited defence of himself, and no doubt his wife as well. The deep wounds to his hands and arms were defence injuries. The positioning of other stab wounds to his legs strongly suggest he was curling himself into a ball for self-protection as he lay in bed, at least in the early stages of the attack. He'd been stabbed many times. There were stab wounds to the head, chest, back, both arms and both legs. The fatal wound entered the upper part of his chest below the collarbone and severed the jugular vein. There was another serious internal wound to the liver. It was clearly a very violent and sustained assault. One of the stab wounds fractured a rib. The force used was so great that the blade of the knife broke twice and the blade was recovered in separate locations in three pieces. The bulk of the blood staining on the knife was around the hilt, a further indication of how deep and forceful the stabbings were. There was also a 3 blunt force injury to his head and indications that he may have been struck over the head of a table lamp. Gillian Kettle had also been repeatedly stabbed to the front and back of the body to the back of the neck, to both arms and both legs. Again, some of the wounds to the arms appeared to be defence wounds and the wounds to the legs may well have been because she too was curling herself into a ball to avoid the attack. A stab wound through her right breast into the chest penetrated her right lung. A stab wound from the back through the chest penetrated the left lung, diaphragm and liver. These were the fatal injuries. She survived long enough to shout bravely to her son who was on the other side of the door and tell him to call the police. Timothy followed his mother's instructions and called the police, but it was too late. The discovery of the gruesome murder scene sparked a major manhunt and Bruzas was apprehended in his car 18 hours after the attacks in Oxshot, just five miles from the house. A knife was later recovered close to the property by, guess who, a dog walker of course, and this was deemed to be the murder weapon. And Victorus, who had hidden out of her friends, was calm and helpful to detectives. When his home was searched, he asked the police officers, how long do you get for murder in this country? But in interviews, he continued to maintain his innocence, claiming that the cut to his hand had been caused by broken glass in a fall on the beach. He didn't admit his guilt at any stage during the long police interviews, even challenging the police to double-check if it was indeed his blood that had been found at the murder scene. At his trial, at the very last minute, Brusus changed his mind and admitted the killings ahead of his trial at the Old Bailey. Sobbing was heard from the public gallery as Brusus, dressed in a dark suit and grey tie, admitted two counts of murder. Peter Wilcox QC defending said he did not accept that Bruzos had murder in mind when he arrived at the Kettle's home. The court was told that Bruzas took a knife from his toolbox because he wanted to scare Patrick Kettle. Whatever the rights and wrongs, it is clear that the defendant struggled to cope with the deterioration of his own marriage, QC Wilcox said. He added that Bruzas was due credit for his guilty pleas, thereby preventing the Kettle's young son from having to testify. QC Wilcox accepted that the attack was premeditated, He will have to live with that for the rest of his life. He knows just what he has inflicted upon the Kettle family, he said. Judge Robin Spencer told Bruzas he would serve a minimum of 33 years in prison. He had faced a 37-year sentence, but had four years knocked off for an early plea. Bruzas, unemotional, stared straight in front of him as the judge spoke. I'm sentencing you for two brutal murders. You went to the home of the victims for the sole purpose of murdering them. For your crime there is only one sentence provided by law, life in prison. Your victims were a happily married couple. There was a perfectly innocent and light-hearted flirtation between Patrick and your wife, but you thought they were having an affair and you allowed that to fester. You believed your marriage had ended because of Patrick, but really it had ended because of your abusive conduct towards your ex-wife. You broke into the house in cold blood. It's clear that Patrick put up a spirited defence of both himself and his wife and you stabbed him many times in the head, chest, back and legs. You stabbed Gillian in the front and back of her body but she survived long enough to shout to her son on the other side of the hall to call the police. Having committed the dreadful murderous attack, you made your exit. Being in the house for just six minutes but in that six minutes, she snuffed out two peaceful lives and ruined the lives of many others forever. The judge added that he'd no doubt that Bruzas had premeditated thoughts about the murder of Patrick, but he had stabbed his wife when she tried to protect her husband, he said. Words cannot begin to describe the depth of desolation brought on the family who have lost their loved ones. You claim to psychiatrist you only meant to threaten Patrick Kettle and had the knife to ward off the family dogs. I can't accept that. There is no doubt in my mind that the murder of Patrick was premeditated and planned. The attack on Gillian was not premeditated. Gillian was killed because she intervened to protect her husband. Your history of obsession with Patrick, ruining your life, suggested you were biding your time to kill him. As he was sent down, Bruza stopped briefly to thank the judge before being taken to the cells. Outside court, the family paid tribute to the wonderful couple in the wake of their deaths. In a statement, they said, Pat and Jilly were a wonderful couple who loved each other dearly. They were the most fantastic parents and their children will feel their loss terribly. It is true to say that the light in our world has been dimmed with their loss. So what Jamaica you make of what we've heard today? A truly awful story, isn't it? It just shows, doesn't it, that Whatever we say or whatever we do in our lives, some people, through no fault of our own, will react in ways that we just can never have anticipated. Who would have thought that ass could have acted in such a violent and deadly manner all those years on after splitting with his wife through his own actions? He is in jail at the moment, and let's face it, we hope he stays there. And as for his wife and the children of Gillian and Patrick, How do they ever get over something like this? All that we can hope is that they manage to get on with their lives without this one just terrible, terrible, terrible thing defining every single aspect of their future life. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime, please pop over to the Facebook group. It is a fun and respectful group. I know, hard to believe, right? but it is, so please do drop in. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Please do support the show, where you can find 33 full-length bonus episodes, all for the price of a dodgy lager. And as I said last week, a recent survey confirmed that supporting the show makes you both a better person and increases your chances of winning the lottery, even if you didn't enter. And we may even run a Patreon trip to a sauna in Rochdale if enough members fancy it. I'll supply the towels. You want merch? There's merch for you. Oh dear. I think it's time to go, don't you? So on that sordid bombshell, please don't forget to go to heist-studios.com and use the code heist15 or capitals H E I S T at the checkout to claim your 15% bonus. And for me, I'm off to cut and paste verbatim from Wikipedia for next week's show. Until then, take it easy, and of course, despite all the provocation from the others, when I get it, I really do, do stay classy.